We are going to be in Ruth chapter 4 tonight. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you can scurry over there and grab one real quick. Uh, If you have a phone, power that bad boy up to Ruth chapter 4. But I I want to recap the story. So we started the book of Ruth in uh, Moab. And the reason we started in Moab is because Naomi, her husband, Elimelech, and their two sons, they go from Bethlehem because there's a famine, and they go into the land of Moab. Well, what happens very quickly in chapter 1 of Ruth is we realize that Elimelech and his two sons, Chilion and Malon, they die. And so Naomi is left widowed there with these two daughters-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah. And so Ruth chapter 1, we're introduced to all of these characters. We see these uh, men die, and we see these women kind of like, oh no, all of our husbands have died. What do we do? And so Naomi says, I am in the land of Moab. This is not my hometown. I don't really know many people here. And in fact, everything that I loved is gone. And so I'm going to go back to my hometown of Bethlehem. And so she says, hey, uh, Ruth, Orpah, Y'all need to stay here in the land of Moab, which is, which is your hometown, and you need to find husbands and have some children and try to move on with your life and live happily ever after. Orpah, she obliges, and she stays in the land of Moab. But Ruth does something really extraordinary and honestly very strange. She tells Naomi, hey, I'm going to go where you go, and where you die, I'll die. Essentially saying, I'm, I'm with you to the end, Right? I think if maybe we were to move this up to the early 2000s, she would have said, listen, Naomi, you're my ride or die. So they, um, they, they do end up coming to Bethlehem. Ruth ends up coming with Naomi. And they get there, and Naomi is like clearly and reasonably very upset. She's sad about her husband. She's sad about her sons. And she goes, she changed her, her name to Mara, which means bitter in uh, Hebrew. And so she just has this bitter life. Well, Naomi is there, she's living her bitter life, and she's at the same time like, hey, uh, Ruth, you need to be my like, personal Uber Eats. I need you to go into the field, and I need you to get some food for us. And, and the narrator of the book says, and by the way, there happens to be a man in the land of Bethlehem named Boaz, and he is a kinsman redeemer. That's the narrator. No, no one in the story is telling us that. The narrator of the story just throws that in there for us in chapter two. Well, the next thing you know, Ruth is making her way into the fields to get some food for her kind of not so awesome mother-in-law. And she just so happens to land in the field of Boaz, right? And already we're seeing what the Lord is doing through this family. We're already getting a picture of the way in which God redeems what we might consider irredeemable. And so she's there in the field of Boaz. Boaz comes up. Remember, like two or three weeks ago, we talked about how the fact like Boaz comes onto the the field that he owns and he's like, hey, what's up? Lord be with you, right? And he's like just super nice. And everyone's thinking, I want to work for Boaz, right? He has the best retirement plan ever. And by the way, he does this all the time. Um, I don't know if he really does that, but I just feel like when you read Ruth chapter two and he comes onto the scene, he's just like, hey, bud, Lord be with you. He just seems like a nice, lovely man. And he gets on the scene, uh, all the Lord be with you's, and he's like, hey, who's that young lady? I've never seen her. And here's the thing. We already know that Boaz is like, she, she cute, <laughs> right? We know, we know nobody else knows yet. Right? How do we know? Because the narrator's telling us the story and we get to see how the story unfolds, right? None of us are dumb. So he's like, hey, uh, young lady, 
I've actually heard about you, Ruth. You're the Moabite who came back with Naomi. What an admirable thing. In fact, I'll tell you, you come to my field, go to no other field. You're going to be safe here, and you're going to have all that you need here in this field. And so I just want you to know that you're welcome. We're so glad you're here. And then Ruth goes home to Naomi. And Ruth's just saying, yeah, I mean, it was, it's crazy. It was Boaz's field. You told, you, you told me you had a relative named Boaz here. It's like the first time that there's a spark of hope in Naomi's life, right? As we get to see this story, it's like the color has come back into her face. She's not bitter anymore. And she's like, okay, here's what we're going to do, <laughs> right? She's like, <laughs> she's got like this, this like game plan. And so we realize, okay, this is, <laughs> this is not really a good idea. But again, this is not our world. And so all of the things we can kind of think about when she's like, hey, you're going to go at night, you're going to go into his tent, and basically you're going you're gonna to try to marry him. You're going you're gonna to say, will you marry me? And so we read it and we think, oh man, all these bad things had to have happened. Like this is, well, no, this is not our context. This is the context of this Jewish culture. Did bad, sinful things happen? Absolutely. I don't think that's what Naomi intended, even though it wasn't wise for her to send Ruth into the tent. But anyways, even in the suspense of all of that, we see Ruth basically say, well, first off, this scene happens where she goes and sits at his feet very quietly, and he wakes up and he's like, whoa, like, who are you? She's like, it's Ruth. (laughs) All right, well, hello, Ruth. Um... (laughs) And she, and, she, and she says, cover me with your wings. And that phrase was used of God in chapter 2. And so what we understand that's happening with chapter 2 and then in chapter 3 is that she's basically asking Boaz to step up and be a redeemer, to, to take her on as a wife, to care for her, and to care for Naomi. And, and we kind of wonder, okay, well, like Boaz, like this is a young foreign lady. He can do a lot of damage in this moment. It's dark. Nobody knows she's there. This could be really, really bad. And Boaz, he looks at her and says, okay, well, I will redeem you, but there's one in line before me. And so according to the law, we actually need to take this matter to this man and to the elders of our city. And so essentially in this dark moment, he sheds the light of God's word, God's law, and says, hey, we got some things we need to do before we get married. And so you see both Ruth and Boaz being, being just upstanding, godly, moral character. And it's like if the first time we get a sigh of relief that like, okay, all right, Naomi, that wasn't smart, but this actually turned out okay. And so this is where we're left off with Ruth chapter four. The elders are meeting, they're meeting this kinsman redeemer. And the question we're left with now is, is this other fool going to get to marry Ruth? Right, because at this point we're like, "Aw, Boaz and Ruth, like they have to be together." Well, let's see. So, Ruth chapter four, we're going to look at verses one through twelve. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. So, basically, uh, the gate, the entrance of the city, would be like kind of like the town square where all of the business happens, right? So he didn't just go up to this random like gate and just sit there by himself. This was where the elders would gather and business would happen. And behold, the Redeemer, right, that other man of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab. 
She is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. That's her husband. Verse 4, So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one else besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. But Boaz ain't done yet. Verse 5, Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So basically he's saying, you will marry her and you all will have children, so Elimelech's bloodline will continue on. Right? Because if Elimelech dies and his only sons die, that's the end of the name. But if someone redeems Ruth, then Elimelech's name can live on. Verse 6, Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Verse 7, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day, that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Chile and all that belong to Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, now we finally find out, oh, it was Malon who was her husband, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gates of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So essentially he's calling all of these people, Rachel, Leah, Tamar, Judah, and basically saying, this is the line with which God has continued his name, continued the name of his people. And so they're saying, essentially, go do these things and be blessed. All right, so the one point I have for tonight is this, redeemed by grace alone. So here, finally, after all of this story that we've seen, we finally get to see the work of God's invisible hand. We finally get to see what it is that he is orchestrating through the lives of these women and the deaths of their husband. And ultimately what we get to see is that God in all of this story serves as the ultimate redeemer. God takes all of that which seems hopeless, dead, all of that which seems lost, and he redeems it. And he takes the dead and actually uses the lifelessness of that thing to bring forth life, and in fact, abundant life. That's what a redeemer is. Chelsea asked two weeks ago, could you explain what a kinsman redeemer is? Well, a redeemer is simply a deliverer or a rescuer. It's, it's simply someone who sees a situation and realizes that they can act in a way that provides rescue for those who are in need of rescue. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. This is God speaking to, to Moses, the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so what God has always been about is finding his people in captivity and delivering them from their captivity. 
In the overarching story of Exodus, the overarching story of the book of Ruth, the overarching story of the entire Bible is that God sees his people. He, he goes and seeks them out in their captivity, in their sin, and provides a means of rescue for them, a means of deliverance, a means of taking them from their deadness and providing them with life. And so, I, you know, as we read the book of Ruth as a story, and as I just kind of retold it, we open in chapter one, and we look at this, and we see the death of these men, and our first thought is just, man, this story is a bust. Oh, that's why it's only four chapters. It's basically just Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah living the rest of their lives in sorrow with nothing, right? We see all of this, and we're like, oh, well, this is a, this is a spoiler alert. There's no hope for this family, and they've lost everything. That's exactly the point we're supposed to be challenged on. When, when it comes to our spiritual lives, we often are conditioned to think like, oh man, this is the end. I'm too bad. God can't save me. I'm too awful. Or these people, they have no hope. They, they, all of their husbands are dead. There's just no hope in the world. Well, here's the thing. What the book of Ruth is saying in chapter one even is you might be tempted to think that this is the end. But in fact, these circumstances that seem so dire and irredeemable, it's actually only the beginning of what I'm doing. And so here, let me encourage you. Sometimes the most awful situations in your life are actually God's way of taking everything that needs to die in your life and killing it so life can spring forth. And so sometimes we face really difficult things, really hard trials in our life, but at least in the life of Naomi and the life of Ruth, God took what seemed to be hopeless and dead and used that for life. And so when we read the book of Ruth, when we read all of the Bible, what we see is that every moment, whether it's in Scripture or in our life, that we see something as irredeemable or the end, that's not the God we serve. Not even death has the final say in this story. Is it not amazing that we get to serve a God who even has power to bring good from death? There's nothing as a human being that you could face more life-altering, literally, than dying. And not, not even that finality, humanly speaking, stops God from using it to actually bring life. And so this is what God does. Romans 8.28 says, He works all things together for the good of those who love Him. That is, that is true. It is verifiably true in the life of Ruth. It is verifiably true in the life of Boaz. God works all things, even difficult trials and sufferings, together for the good of those who love him. And James 4.8 says that as we draw near to God, God draws near to us. So my counsel to you this evening is if you are hurting, if you are suffering, if you know someone in pain, encourage them that just like Ruth and Naomi, as they went back to Bethlehem, the place where God resided in the temple, as they drew near to him, not only physically, God was drawing near to them. And we realized that their drawing near was actually more spiritual than geographic. So Ruth, the entire book serves as an encouragement to us. If you're hurting, seek God. If you're hurting, walk to Bethlehem. God will meet you. He will draw near to you. So we see really in four very short chapters, the way that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. But here's something really important about this story, because it's easy to look at this, this book and say, okay, well, yeah, we have four chapters, and you can read it in like 15 minutes, and we get to see how awesome God is and how their husbands died, but then at the end of chapter four, everything's just fine and dandy. My life doesn't work like that. 
But here's one of the things we don't get to see. We have four chapters, but these four chapters span the time frame of months. And so what we don't get to see is all of the unaccounted time, all of the details that, that got cut out. And so what we see is when we read, we see they're just so faithful. They just make decisions that are godly. They just have immediate biblical morality. They do all the right things. But what we don't see is the fact that when Ruth and Naomi walked to Bethlehem, the sorrow that they must have faced, the difficulty of walking from Moab to Bethlehem even, and just realizing that in the midst of this difficult trek, they've just lost their husbands and they're grieving. Right? We don't get to see the long hours that Ruth like spent toiling in, in the field. So when we say, like, you know, we do all the things like, well, what up, girl? Like, no, she's out there working really hard. She's out there spending all day, day after day, doing these things, wondering, how does God redeem this? Is this my life forever, going out here and getting food for my mother-in-law? I'm happy to do it, but is this seriously what I'm going to do every day for the rest of my life? Walk into this field, spend all day doing this, getting a bunch of food, carrying back this really heavy sack of food to my mother-in-law, and then doing it the next day. We don't get to see Naomi pacing back and forth in her house, wondering, is Ruth going to be okay out there? Is she safe today? Am I seriously going to have to sell all of my husband's stuff just so we can go find an apartment to rent? pacing back and forth in her house. And by the way, her husband is still dead. And then we don't get to see Boaz being nervous about this other man possibly redeeming Ruth, right? He's like, hey, we got some things we need to take care of. There's another redeemer. We need to see what he says. Listen, he really likes Ruth. You don't think he spent all night and the rest of the day thinking, I really hope he doesn't redeem her. We don't get to see him being nervous over that. But the reason I mention all of these is because these moments are really important because these moments are real life. None of us would look at our life and say, yeah, you know what? Some bad things happened and then immediately some good things happen. And then tomorrow when another bad thing happens, immediately another good thing will happen. Now, there's a lot of unaccounted time in this story where these people are hurting, where where these people are being tempted with sin, when they're being tempted to question God. There's, There's a lot of hurt in this book that we don't get to see. But the reason I mention it is because it's real life. It's our life. It's the life that we face. And so the reason I say it is because you may be facing something really difficult. You may be facing something so difficult that you have been facing it long before we entered the book of Ruth and you will be facing it long after we exit the book of Ruth. But what I'm telling you is that God uses those things in his own time to bring forth good for those who love him. How long do you have to wait? I don't know. I I have no idea. But one thing I do know is that he will do it because it's the work he does. He takes that which seems dead and hopeless and he brings forth life from it. Here's what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with this question. As we look at Boaz and ultimately he does redeem Ruth, right? Yes. Boaz gets the girl. Ruth gets her knight in shining armor, a.k.a. the overly cheerful church greeter. She's redeemed. God brings a conclusion to the crisis of Ruth chapter 1. But here's the question. Who is your redeemer? Who is your redeemer? Because it's enough to look at this story and say, oh, well, this is wonderful. Yes, God's hand, his invisible hand. It's so awesome. It's It's a lovely story, in fact. It all works out happily ever after. 
But that's not what Ruth is asking of us. If we were to end this book simply saying, well, this is just a really good love story, then we've missed everything. Who is your Redeemer? Where have you placed your faith for rescue? You know, all of us know deep down inside that we need something to rescue us. Inherently, we do. And let me explain to you why that is true. Because you may find all of your worth in being really good at sports and all of your value in being good in sports. You may find all of your worth and your value in having a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You may find all of your worth and value being the best you can possibly be at your instrument. You may find all of your worth and value in pleasing your parents. Why do we, why do, we do those things? Because we're looking to those things to provide rescue for us, to make us mean something. To, to, to show that we have value. Because ultimately, what we realize is that we have nothing. We have nothing to offer anyone. That's why the Bible tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We realize, I've fallen short. My life is defined by fallen short. And whether you confess it or not, it's true. Where is your faith? being placed for rescue. Ephesians 1, 7-10 says this, In Him, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Jesus Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and on earth. Listen, y'all, the good news this evening is that the Redeemer for us, the Rescuer for us, has already been sent, and He already paid the price that we owed. All we have to do is place our faith in Jesus for rescue, and He will do it. As eager as Boaz was to redeem Ruth, that's how eager God is to save us through His Son, Jesus. If only we will realize all of our hope for rescue, all of our hope for value and for worth, it will never be found on this earth. It will only be found in the person of Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, shedding His blood to cover my sin, to pay my price. And all I have to do is believe. And in that story, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be struggles and trials. But the one thing we know is that God's work is that of redemption. And that which He wants to redeem, He always redeems.